here tonight. Glad to uh, be here with you. Appreciate the sweet invitation to come. I hate I couldn't be here for uh, all of the good uh, fellowship and learning this weekend, but uh, we've been with the Big Sandy uh, fellowship meeting, and we've just had a wonderful time with them, and I thank you for allowing me to come in here on Saturday night and to try in some way to try to teach you from the Word of God. Um, I learned a long time ago um, that my job, my calling, uh, it may be to preach the gospel, but I don't know how to make that happen. What I can know how to do is to get up with something on my mind and heart that hopefully has been studied out and to present it as teaching. I'm a pastor teacher, as your pastor is, and these other pastors were pastor teachers. And we hope and pray to be able to come and teach something. And if the Lord just sees fit, as he so often does, he can touch it with his Holy Spirit and turn it into preaching. And that preaching will feed your soul. And that preaching will uh, open your mind to perspectives in the Word of God that you haven't seen before. And we hope and pray the Lord will give us that experience. If not tonight, then continually as the years roll on that He suffers us to stay here on this world. I go to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Uh, going to read verses 28 through 36. Luke 9, 28 through 36. And it came to pass about in eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into the mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistering. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass as they departed from him, Jesus, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And it was. It was good for them to be there. And Peter declared, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias, not knowing what he said. <coughs> And while he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud, saying, uh, feared as they entered into the cloud, and there came a voice out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone, and they kept it close, and told no man in those days any of those things which they had seen. This is a very peculiar, singular, wonderful, glorious episode in the life of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and in the life of these disciples. This is something that, you know, was, as I said, it was singular. Here, uh, the glory to an extent of the Lord. Now, it was still shaded glory. If it had been the fullness of the glory of the Lord, I'd venture to say they would have been consumed because we cannot stand before the full glory of the Lord. Peter, later writing in his epistle, spake of that voice that came from heaven, the voice of the Father, that it came from the excellent glory. Now that excellent glory, my friends, is the glory that excels. It's the fullness of the glory of God is dwelling in heaven right now. But what Jesus revealed was far more glorious than any of us could ever imagine viewing. It absolutely floored Peter, James, and John. And uh, I want you to understand, my friends, that Jesus says when He comes back, uh, Brother John told us this in his apostle, in his epistle, excuse me, that when he comes back to this earth at his second coming, we shall see him as he is, right? Well, how is he now? He far exceeds this glory that was manifest here on the Mount of Transfiguration. This was glorious. This was wonderful. But Jesus Christ prayed unto his father in John chapter 17, very plainly, return unto me the glory that I had with thee before the foundation of the world. So when Jesus returned up on high to be with the Father, He took upon Himself again that which was rightfully His and according to His eternal essence, and that's the fullness of the glory of the triune Godhead. And when He comes back to this earth, He tells us He's going to come back in the fullness of that glory. And I'll give you this to chew on. 
This earth and this universe will begin to burn and disintegrate and melt with fervent heat at His approach. There won't be any way to set up a 1,000 year earthly reign. Do you understand? Because when Jesus comes, we're told we're not going to dwell here. We, my friends, will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And I'll tell you, I thank God to know that's going to be the end. Okay? But this wasn't the end for them. They got to see something glorious. They got to see something wonderful. Now, right before this came uh, to be in the verse before, the verse immediately preceding this account in verse 27, it says, but I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. Now, I know, brothers and sisters, there are different interpretations of that, but I certainly believe he was referring immediately to Peter, James, and John. Their uh, brothers and sisters at that time when verse 27 was stated, Peter, James, and John were there and he said uh, they're going to continue to live until they're able to behold the kingdom of God. And it was some eight days later they went up with the Savior up to the top of the Mount of Transfiguration and they beheld Jesus Christ. How is what they beheld the kingdom of God? Because my friends, I don't know how much better a definition you could give of the kingdom of God than saved people who are dwelling with their Savior and they're learning about that Savior. They're focused on Him. They're learning. I'll tell you, that's what Moses and Elias, these two men had, uh, I'll tell you, especially Elias had starch in his britches. Moses did too. They were wise. They were strong. But I'll tell you, they were still enthralled by the demise, the decease of Jesus Christ that was soon to come, how His blood would be shed for their sins. My friends, they uh, had been, uh, as it were, in heaven in credit. Elias in body, soul, and spirit, and Moses in soul and spirit. And there they were, having been redeemed by the blood of Christ even before He shed it. Why? Because a covenant-keeping God, my friends, can declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done. And in His covenant of grace, my friends, all those that lived in the before the shed blood of Jesus Christ that were embodied in Him, in Jesus Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. To what end? To have this decease that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. I don't know anything more in the kingdom of God than what we're doing right now. Oh, and one day in heaven, we're going to see it in its fullness. Amen? I wish Jesus Christ would come back right now. People sing a little longer. No, my friends, come, Lord, come quickly. Come quickly. What, what a glorious thing it'll be when He comes, brothers and sisters. But now I'm thankful to see a little bit of His glory now. Amen? I'm thankful that He sees fit to put His children in the cleft of the rock and pass by and give them the glory, the glimpse of His glory that they need. Do y'all need it tonight? I can tell you I need that glory. I need that glory in a land that is full of political strife, hatred, racial intolerance, and unrest, unsettling times. People say, these are uh, uncertain financial times. Friends, they're all uncertain financial times. There's no such thing as a certain financial time. And I'm here to tell you, my friends, this world is not a friend of grace. But our Lord Jesus Christ is a friend indeed. Amen? And I'll tell you, He'll give you what you need. And this is what He was giving Peter, James, and John. He was giving them a glimpse of the kingdom of God. And they would not die until they experienced that kingdom of God. They saw the Savior. And my friends, they saw the glory. And they saw the learning and the communion and the fellowship. I'll tell you, what we're doing right now is just what we ought to be doing. Fellowshipping together as best we can. Because I tell you what, if the Lord's going to catch us up together to meet the Lord in the air, I want to be together with y'all as much as I can down here too, okay? That only makes sense to me, all right? I'm thankful to be here with you tonight. So, this is a singular thing. This is a very special occasion, as it were. And if we're seeing a glimpse of the kingdom of God, and we're seeing that Moses and Elias are there, I mean, you, you go and count up all the saints in Hebrews chapter 11, and that chapter that expresses the, talks about the faith of so many of God's children that lived in the Old Testament. I mean, there could have been any number of people seated about Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. But I have to think there's a lesson in Moses and Elias. Elias is Elijah. I have to think that there's something being conveyed to us, church, by Jesus choosing to be there with Moses and Elijah on that mountaintop revealing unto Peter, James, and John. And tonight I would like to look at the lives of Moses and Elijah 
and look at the similarities, the things that we can glean from this. And does that convey anything to us? Does it have any meaning? Well, I hope and pray it does. Now, somebody may say, Brother Joe, don't over-spiritualize. I don't want to over-spiritualize, but I also don't want to under-spiritualize. Okay? Some people under-spiritualize. They make everything just worldly, temporal, carnal. They just want to explain it away. Bless Thomas Jefferson's heart. He didn't believe in the miracles of Jesus Christ. He wanted to cut all of that out of his Bible. We don't need to over-spiritualize, but we need, my friends, that balance. Amen? And I don't want to under-spiritualize either. There are spiritual lessons to be taught in the Word of God, and we hope to be able to glean some tonight. The most obvious thing that you know about Moses and Elias being there, Moses and Elijah, is that Moses, my friends, represent the law, and Elijah represents the prophets. Probably all of y'all have heard that taught on before. All these points I'm going to bring to you tonight, you may have heard them taught on before, but I hope to stir up your pure mind by way of remembrance. There, with Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, is uh, the one who kept all of the law and the prophets. In that sense, it made perfect sense that Moses and Elijah would be there. Moses, the utmost, my friends, the one who was given the law to deliver unto Israel. And Elijah, brothers and sisters, was the utmost of the prophets and exhibited great power of the Lord. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 18. But the important one was the man in the middle. Amen? Just like in the crucifixion there on Golgotha's Hill, uh, you can learn lessons from both of those malefactors, but it was the man in the middle that made it all happen. And here Jesus Christ uh, declared in Matthew 5, 17 through 18, He said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy. He said, but to fulfill. And there's a good question. Did He do it? Did He fulfill it? Some people think Jesus just came down to observe it. Okay? And obviously, Jesus being not only all man, but also all God, He kept the law in His activities, in His thoughts, never did anything amiss, never did anything against His Father. He always did those things that pleased the Father. But brothers and sisters, this is not some redundant statement just about His perfection and His impeccability. He kept the law for the jot and to the tittle for His people. That's who He came for. And I'll tell you, if He kept it for them, He said, uh, Verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Not commanded for you to fulfill, because guess what? You can't do it. And there would be nothing but eternal torment for all of us. But Jesus Christ came. Jesus Christ saw our need before the foundation of the world. And He lived the perfect, impeccable life as our representative. Uh, Brother Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, told them very plainly. He said, for he had been made, for, for he had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I'll tell you, that's a bad deal but it's good for us. Amen? I'll tell you, all of our sin was placed fully on Jesus Christ. And if all of your sin were imputed to Jesus Christ when He shed His blood, according to Ephesians chapter 1, what is redemption from our sins? It is the forgiveness of sin. It is the shedding of blood. Ephesians tells it. Colossians tells it. It's too late for you to get the shed blood of Jesus. He only shed it once 2,000 years ago. And what He purchased with it, He never had to keep a receipt because not any of it will be lost. He fulfilled it to the jot and to the tittle. Oh, let's look at another state. You realize Moses and Elias, and I'm going to try to be concise here. My wife will tell you that's not my strong point. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a jabberwocky man, and I could lose that. I got to tell y'all, Brother David refused to get up here and preach tonight, and Brother David coming in back there, I asked him, how long, Brother David, do you want me to preach tonight? And he said, five, three hundred. Now, he didn't give any denominations, so that's left up for interpretation. Don't worry, I don't plan to keep you here all night. I couldn't get any more out of him than that, but uh, don't, I'm not planning on taking too much liberty. Notice another commonality of Moses and Elijah. It was very conspicuous in the Word of God. Both of these fasted for 40 days. Both of these fasted for 40 days. Now, you know it was the power of God that upheld them when they fasted 
40 days and nights and upheld them and upheld their strength. There is no material scientific explanation that could explain how someone could live after fasting for 40 days of water and of food. But I'm going to tell you what God has determined to do. I talked to a brother one time and he was trying to figure out why that the fire and brimstone that rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah had to have come from a volcano that erupted. You see, God, you know, obviously he didn't believe that God could just send down fire and brimstone, but it had to come from a volcano. There had to be a natural explanation for what happened there. And I told this brother, look, if God decided to rain down pink and purple unicorns, flying pegasuses, okay, if he wanted to rain down whatever he wanted to, pink elephants, God can make it happen. God just has to speak it. God doesn't even have to speak it. God just has to determine it and it's done. Okay, you don't have to seek for some kind of natural explanation for these things. And friends, I don't understand how somebody can live 40 days without water and food, but I understand a God who's able to do that. Amen? I don't understand a God. I mean, I don't understand how you can get two of each type of animal and seven of the sacrificial kind on a boat in a place where there's never been water, where nobody knows about shipbuilding, and it takes 120 years to build, and they get all the... Somebody may say, how could that happen? That just sounds incredible. Well, it is incredible because it's God doing it. God directs it. And when God does it, it is incredible to our reasoning. Oh, but our spirits yearn for such a Savior. Amen? Our spirits yearn for that God. Uh, Moses fasted twice on Mount Sinai each time that he went up and he was given the law by God. There he was in the smoke and the fire and the lightning unhurt. And there, brothers and sisters, when he came down, his face shone so greatly that the Israelites craved him to cover it up with a veil because they were just unable to behold it. It was too disconcerting for them. It was terrifying for them. Uh, second time that they did it was after the golden calf fiasco. And what about Elijah? In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 8, it talks about how Elijah, after he had gotten greatly discouraged, right? He folded with fear. There he is, great boldness on Mount Carmel. And then you turn right around and he's begging to die. Oh, my friends, he's a man of like passions like we are. Amen. We do the same thing so oftentimes. All right. He arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat. What meat? The meat and drink that the Lord had provided for him. And there's a good lesson in that. If you think you can make it through this life just fine without the Lord, how's that worked out for you in the past? If you're as happy as a hog in the sunshine in this world, you just carry on and go right ahead. But if you're anything like me, you can see the great mess that you've made of your life. All the distress, all the discouragement, all of the errors that you've made. I'm going to tell you what, my path has been crooked as a tub of guts, convoluted, confused as a football bat. But I can tell you when Jesus is in control, when I'm yoked together with my Lord, I'll tell you that's food and water that'll take me through. I won't get hungry. I won't get famished. Brothers and sisters, the Lord will carry you through. And that's what was given unto Elijah. And Elijah went on the strength of that meat and drank 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the mountain of God. Now what can we conclude from that? Well, for one thing, the fast that Moses undertook revealed the glory of the law of God. There he was, immersed in that glory on the top of Mount Sinai. And he saw a God of law in great fear and trembling. And he gave it uh, on these stone tablets, written by the finger of God. Uh, the Bible says, given by disposition of angels. There it was, he gave it unto Moses. Elijah's fast, when he fasted, it revealed what? That man is very easily discouraged and weak. He's unable. He's incapable. Look, if anybody would have said, I want to find a man who's not afraid of a mean woman. Okay? Jezebel was a mean woman. And if I was looking for a man, if I was going to go shopping for a man who could withstand a Jezebel, it would have been Elijah, right? 
I mean, here he is, a man who prayed God fire came down and licked up all of the sacrifice and all of the water in a time of drought. Here's such great manifest power of God. There was revival. Israel said, the Lord, he is God. I'll tell you, that would have been my candidate. That man right there, that hairy, woolly booger looking of a man, that prophet, that's the one I want to take on the mean woman. And you see how wrong I'd have been? You know why? Because in our own devices, my friends, we're always wrong. There's a way that seemeth right unto man. The end thereof is the ways of what? Death. Death. Elijah's fast showed his utter need of God. And I'm going to tell you, my friend, Moses' fast showed forward a God who takes his law very seriously. But I'm going to tell you, right there in the middle was Jesus Christ who also fasted. He was led of the Spirit into the wilderness and fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And he was tempted. And we see three great temptations. But I'm going to tell you, my friends, I think there was far more than just three temptations in that 40 days and 40 nights. I mean, we're told in Hebrews that he was tempted in all points. He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. That's a lot of ways to be tempted. And I believe during that time when he was dwelling in the wilderness with Satan and the wild beasts, there he was by himself. There he was hungered. There he was thirsty. And Satan in his wickedness. And you can't even imagine how evil he is. And we can't either. He poured out temptation after temptation. Oh, three of the biggest ones were certainly elucidated in the Scriptures. But he was tempted in all points in his life. And the good news is, brothers and sisters, what he manifested to you and I, the lesser lesson is this. There's nothing we're going to go through he hasn't gone through already. Okay, there's nothing you can point to and say, well, these times are different. Not for the I am. For the I am, these times aren't different. He's the one who's been tempted and in all points. But the greater lesson in that is that he, this man, was tempted of Satan, the greatest tempter in all of time, in all of the universe. He had 40 days and 40 nights to take a hungry, starving, dehydrated man surrounded by wild beasts and loneliness and he was showed himself impeccable. We know he's our savior. We know he's the only one worthy. All God and all man. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus fast revealed that he could neither break his law nor be discouraged. That law that Moses beheld and that discouragement that tripped up Elijah was it say in Isaiah 42, 4. It says of our Lord Jesus Christ, He shall not fail nor be discouraged till He hath set judgment in the earth and the isles shall wait for His law. Friends, He fulfilled the law to the jot and the tittle and satisfied it for us. And I thank God that we're not worshiping the God of so many people today who's wringing His hands wondering whether all of His people are going to be in heaven. I'm here to tell you, Jesus, Christ said I came down from heaven not to do mine own will but the will of him that sent me and this is the father's will which sent me that all he hath given me I should lose nothing but raise it up again at the last day that's our savior that one in the middle that man in the middle the lamb of God was taken away the sin of the world he fasted for us and when he did he showed forth his impeccability and he was worthy to do that you know another commonality between Moses and Elijah and I've got to hurry along here Another commonality between Moses and Elijah is that both of their ministries ended with great disappointments. I would... Look, some of the strongest spiritual men that I have, I've experienced, read about and lived and seen, pastored little bitty small churches. They prayed. They worked. They labored. They traveled. They visited the sick. They did and did and worked and worked and they spent and were spent in the service of the Lord. And you would look at them and say, if anybody should have a bounding, thriving congregation, it should have been them. But friends, don't ever forget one thing. This church doesn't belong to us and our gospel doesn't belong to us. The Lord, my friends, if He's revealed it to you, He's still sovereign in the revelation of His truth. And He's still sovereign as the King over His kingdom. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever think there's just a simple, simple formula for growing a church. This church growth movement. Let me tell you something. More than our desire should be to just simply grow a church. It should be, Lord, help me to be faithful and no matter what comes. If it's my ministry to hold the hands of old folks to the grave while I do the best I can, then I'll tell you, if the Lord gave that to me to do, it's a worthy ministry. 
But Moses and Elijah, they had a lot of disappointments. Had a lot of disappointments. Moses was told, get thee up into Mount Abiram, under Mount Nebo, which is the land of Moab, and do what? Go. I mean, look at everything that Moses had done. Look at everything that he had done for the Lord. But brother and sister, Psalm 106 tells us he spake unadvisedly. We've often, often wondered, you know, was it him smiting the rock? Or was it him speaking and saying, must we bring you rebels water out of this rock? Psalms tells us he spake unadvisedly. We need to be careful what we say. Amen. We need to be careful what we say. Sister Laura, I spake unadvisedly this weekend. I was picking on my, my wife from the pulpit and I called her a heathen. And I can tell you, I spake unadvisedly. Okay. I said, I love you, Sister Laura. I spake unadvisedly. Moses spake unadvisedly. Okay. And he was not allowed to go in. He had to just look over into what could have been. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you tonight, if your heart's been touched by Jesus Christ, if you believe yourself a sinner and Him a Savior, don't feed through the cracks like a starving chicken. Come into the kingdom through baptism and confession. Repent of your sins, my friends, and come forward and join, my friends, yourself to the church and be part of the solution and not part of the problem. Moses had disappointments. Elijah, here Elijah's defeated. Here he'd seen great signs of the Lord in the very mouth of that cave in Mount Horeb slash Mount Sinai. And in 1 Kings 19, the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. Here this man was defeated. This man had just given up the ghost, as it were. He said, there's just no way. He said, look, they dug down your altars, they've slain your prophets, and now these evil, wicked Israelites, now they're coming to kill me and I'm the last one. I'm paraphrasing. But what was the word of the Lord unto him? He said, let me tell you something, I've reserved unto myself 7,000 who've not kissed that image or bowed down to that image. And brothers and sisters, we need to understand something. See, that example was taken over and used by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 11 when he was proving the point what? Even though you don't see uh, Paul and the church at Rome, even though you don't see a bunch of Jews out there right now pouring into the church, hearts broken, believing, confessing of Jesus Christ, you don't look around and you don't see them. But it still does not negate that who God has reserved unto Himself are His. Okay? You may not be able to tell them all. Okay? You know, you can observe a man's sin and you know what you find out? He's a sinner. Well, guess what, Sparky? So are you. You're a sinner too. Okay? You're going to judge people's sins. We're sinners as well. But brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. When you see one whose heart is broken in their sin and they see their Savior and they desire to serve Him, oh, I'm telling you, it, it just lifts us up. And we love to see that. But we look around in dark ages and we say, there, is there no one left? Don't ever forget, my friends, that you have a God who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. Okay? And we might look and we might judge, but guess what? Our judgment is often wrong. Why? Because we are dead and dying in our natures and our minds have no clarity. In heaven, when we're conformed to the image of Jesus, we shall be. But we need to be very careful before we point at somebody and make them think that we're judging them to the eternal fire and nether regions. That's not our calling. That's not our job. Okay? Everybody's judgment is in the hand of a righteous Lord. Amen? And I'll tell you, don't get discouraged. You just keep pressing the collar. And you tell yourself, oh, my Lord's got 7,000. I think that's a representative number. I don't, it may be literally 7,000. I don't know. But the Lord is able. Amen. That's the Lord we serve. And we rejoice in that. So here, he cost himself his ministry. Okay? And he had to go and anoint, uh, Elisha. Well, we see Moses fell short of getting to go in to enjoy Canaan. All right. We see that Elijah fell short and it cost him, my friends, his prophetic office and a lot of his legacy. I mean, we still preach about him. We still rejoice in him. But there's a lot of defeatist attitude that was exhibited by Elijah, right? But notice that Jesus' ministry has been victorious in every respect. In every respect. In Hebrews chapter 9, 
Verse 24, for Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the truth, but into heaven itself. Now, what, what did Jesus go into heaven for? That's a good question. What did he go into heaven for? Why did he go to be and seek at the right hand of his father? He went into what's called the holiest of holies, a tabernacle not made with hands, but eternal in the heavens. What did he go to do? My friends, he's our high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He went in there to make an offering and sacrifice and an intercession for the children of God. Every one of them. How many times did he have to go in there? Hebrews chapter 9 says he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Out of the world would have Jesus going in and out and in and out and in and out and in and out more than waiters coming in and out of the kitchen of a busy restaurant. Jesus doesn't have to, my friends, because I'll tell you, he once took the blood for all of his elect, everyone who ever live in heaven. He went once and offered it before the Father in the holy place. And I'll tell you, Hebrews chapter 6 also tells us that he anchored our hope into that holiest of holies. When did he go in there? Just one time. I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, I rejoice in the Lord that he does things and he does things right. No half measures. He went in once. He offered the blood once. He anchored our hope once. And now if it's ever made manifest to you, it shows forward, brothers and sisters, that you've had an intercessor in Jesus Christ uh, who was purposed to be your intercessor. I think it's Hebrews 7.22, if I'm not mistaken, said He liveth ever to be our intercessor. He didn't just start. He's always been our intercessor. But now in full, He is seated at the right hand of His Father in heaven. He said, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. There he is making allusion to the work of the priest in the Old Testament. And that priest had very stringent regulations for the sacrifice and how it was brought before the Lord. And I'm here to ask you, my friends, if Jesus was resurrected, Jesus ascended on high as the representative priest, the high priest in the presence of the eternal Father in heaven, in the glories, my friends, where the fullness of the glory of God is. How did he not do it 100% successfully? Is there anything unsuccessful in heaven? You know, some people talk about the Lamb's book of life. Oh, he's striking names off of it left and right. Lamb book of life, as far as I can tell, is in glory with the Father. And I'm here to tell you there's no need for a book editor there. Every name that's listed there has been listed there from the foundation of the world. That's why he's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You can see that in Revelation 13, 8 and Revelation 17, 8. Brothers and sisters known unto God are all his works from before the world began. And I'll tell you, he knows his children. Their names are written in that book and that's who he came for. Matthew 1, 21. Fear not, Joseph, to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And thou shalt bring forth a son. She shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Who's his people? Every name in that book. Every name in that book. In the covenant of grace. He entered there for us and he did it once. No disappointment, nothing but victory. Oh, so much more could be said. You know something else, the commonality of Moses and Elijah? The waters parted for both of them. Have you ever thought about that? Now for Moses, the Red Sea was parted. Now that's a big deal, okay? You see some partings of the waters. I believe they represent concepts. I think the Red Sea being opened and all of Israel going across on dry shod is representative of the redemption of the whole elect family of God out of sins and transgression and the pollution of this world and been brought forward onto the other side, my friends, through the power of God. That means every single one. Now somebody may say, Brother Joe, you seriously going to tell me that all of those Israelites Everyone, not one of them stayed behind. Not one of them had the gout in their hip. Oh, I don't think I can make it. Y'all go on without me. I got some leeks and onions and I'm going to see if they help this gout. You go tell me, mama stayed behind. Okay. Somebody stayed behind. Some cripple stayed behind. Some child got lost. 
Somebody got left behind. One of, one of the Egyptians got bitter and decided to you know, prohibit somebody from getting out. Any number of scenarios could have played out. And somebody say, obviously, not all of God's children. I'll tell you, if the Word of God says that we ought to believe it. Amen? If the Word of God says that we ought to believe it. Notice in Exodus 12, 41, and it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, even the selfsame day, it came to pass. How many days did it take for Jesus to bring His children out of sin's condemnation and take them across, my friends, in redemption and translate them into the kingdom of Almighty God? Through His blood, it only took one day. In fact, six hours on one day. And here in one day, that selfsame day, it says, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. Now, Brother Joe, all, you know, <laughs> all things, all this. You know, it's a very loosely used term. Uh, go to Amos chapter 3. Amos chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel. Against who? The whole family. If Brother Lewis, if I was going over to Brother Lewis's house, okay, and he said, who all's coming with you? And I said, my whole family. He would expect Royce. He would expect Maddie. He would expect Audrey. He would expect Camille. And he would expect Ava. And now we got a couple of hangers on. We got boyfriends too. Okay? There's no rings yet, but we love them, man. I'm telling you. I'm trying to fatten them up and keep them happy, man. I'll tell you. I'm looking for some grandbabies one of these days. I love me some Kobe. I love me some David. And uh, there's a new one. His name is Jacques. And I've only met him one time. I still got some stink eye to give him before I get comfortable with him. But we, you know, if I was going to tell him the whole family was coming and I showed up without Sister Laura, he would say, I thought you said the whole family was coming. But here, the inspired Word of God, it said the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt. I love a God who doesn't lose any. Amen? Not one. Now somebody may say, how can that be? Well, how can somebody survive 40 days without food and water? How can a body be sown in weakness but raised in power? You know what? I don't know. It's a God thing. Do you believe in God? Amen. We got somewhere to build on. If you don't believe there's a God, you're in His hands. Repent. Repent if you can. Brother and sister, if you believe there's a God and you believe that He's a God that's spoken of in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, then this ought to be not a challenge for you. Not a challenge at all. In Psalm 105, verse 37 and 38, it said, He brought them forth also with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble person among their tribes. Can you imagine that? I like to try to imagine my Aunt Margie. Aunt Margie, bless her heart, down in Mississippi. Aunt Margie Touchstone. I'll tell you, one of the finest old Baptist sisters you'd ever see in your life. Now, anything that came in her mind came out of her mouth. She didn't have much of a filter, but she had a huge heart for Jesus. A huge heart for His people. But Aunt Margie also loved to publish what was going on with her medically. Okay? Aunt Margie, how you... I don't know why I kept asking. Aunt Margie, how you doing? Oh, they done found Aunt Margie with sugar, honey. Ain't Margie's got the arthritis, honey. I just hurting so bad. It just all the time. Ain't Margie had some kind of ailment, bless her heart. I like to imagine being back in 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 Egypt in that day when the Lord instilled power in them people. That every Ain't Margie and every Granny Grunt and every old broke down Paw Paw got up leaping as a heart and said, "Let's get on up out of here. Let's get out of here. We've had enough of this place. We got a God who's leading us out." And I'll tell you, every one of them went. Every one of them because there was nobody weak. Nobody, I don't even think they had to carry a litter. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? They didn't have to drag anybody or carry anybody on a litter. That would be wonderful. Not one weak person was among them. Do you believe in that God? I'll tell you, I do. I do. I rejoice in that God. Okay? I think we see all of God's children going across there. Look at Elijah. Elijah was a little smaller scale, right? I know. I know what time it is. got to hurry up. Elijah's Elijah's went a little, a little smaller scale. All right. Now, Elijah been discouraged. Elijah has now been called down. He's embarrassed. His prophetic ministry has been transferred, as it were. And now here he is and he's coming and he's going to be translated. Now, even the sons of the prophets realize they've been revealed to the Lord that he's going to be translated. Elisha realizes it. Elijah realized it. That's what he was going there for. But notice, 
The waters parted for Elijah in 2 Kings chapter 2, 7 and 8. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off. And they too stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters. And they were divided hither and thither so that they went to, went over on dry ground. Somebody said, what's the point, Brother Joe? We've already seen the Red Sea party where that is redeemed all of God's people. Everyone came out with power on the other side. Yes, amen. All of God's children are going to be saved. But brothers and sisters, He didn't just come down to this earth to just save us by His blood to take us to heaven one day. He is here for our little issues day by day. You've got child problems, Jesus will help you. You've got church problems, certainly the only help you have is Jesus Christ. Are you addicted? Jesus can help you. Is your mind troubled? Jesus can help you are you having trouble with schizophrenia Jesus can help you my friends don't you ever forget that not only is he the God of total complete redemption but he is providentially involved in you child of God he loves you Paul said who gave himself who loved me and gave himself for me he is a personal savior and don't you ever forget it he's very personal to me okay and I suspect he is to you too. All right? Moses saw them all delivered. Elijah saw deliverance for himself. But brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ. Notice in Isaiah chapter 43, all this victorious language in Isaiah 43. Start with verse 1. Notice this, this definitive, successful redemption. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. Before you can ever call the name of Jesus Christ, He has already called you by His name. Okay? I have called thee by my name. I have created thee. We've been created for His glory. But then notice, He didn't just stop. If He stopped there, wow. Amen? I mean, wow! What a God have we! But He didn't stop there. He said, when thou passest through the waters. When thou passest through the waters, I'll be with thee. And through the rivers, they'll not overflow thee. And when thou walkest through the fire, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, there the Son of God will be there with you. I used to leave and forsake Him all the time, but He's never forsaken me. He's never left me. I'll tell you, if there's ever been a time when I felt distant from the Lord, it was because of some sorry position of my own and not of the Savior. He hasn't left you. And He hasn't left me. I'll tell you, He'll pass you through the waters of redemption and He'll pass you through every flood that'll touch you in this world. There's nothing too big for the Lord. He's able. He's able. Oh, we, we, we love to sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But then, my friends, we get to worrying about, maybe I need to take this job that's going to have me working every Sunday. I don't think I can get a better job. Oh, you got a God who can cleanse your soul and spirit through the shedding of His blood, but He can't provide you a job? You know? Oh, I believe I'm saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, but I'm just afraid to discipline my children the way I see in there. You know, I, Dr. Phil, you know, no, 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 no. I can tell you what, the same God who's given you a word that attests to you of His successful salvation is the same God that has given you how to maintain and administer over your family, fathers, mothers, and children. The same God that lived in the olden times is just the same today. Y'all may be saying, Brother Joe, you're loud. I am loud and I get happy. I ain't mad at y'all. I just get happy preaching the gospel. Okay? This same God, notice we quoted earlier from John 6.39 And this is the Father's will which has sent me that all uh, which He hath given me I should lose nothing but should raise it up again at the last. Notice that it. Very impersonal. It's like it's, He's talking about a lump. He is. He's talking about a lump of folks called the elect. The people of every kindred, nation, people, and tongue of every age. Okay? He's going to raise it up again at the last day. And somebody may say, Well, Brother Joe, Brother Lewis, how can I know that I'm part of that elect? I can't look on the Lamb's book of life. You're right. You're not allowed. I can tell you what, if you can't loosen the seals of that book in the beginning of Revelation, 
that describes God being the sovereign God over every age and situation of time, if you're not worthy to open that book, you're certainly not open, worthy to look on the Lamb's book of life. How can I know? How can I know? Jesus went on to take it from the it to the you. I grew up hearing about the it. It was just a theological concept to me that I thought, you know, just what primitive Baptists thought. There was a time in my life I didn't any more want Jesus Christ than a hog wants lipstick. I didn't care for Jesus Christ. He got in the way of my bar rooming. He got in the way of all the things that my carnal mind and heart wanted to do. Salvation in Jesus was just an it. But I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, I don't know exactly when it was. I never saw a great shining light like Saul of Tarsus did. But there came a time when it made it for me. It became real to me. How? Because I heard that gospel preached. And one day, it meant something to me. I don't know why. I mean, at that time, I was thinking, this is what I've heard Brother Melvin and Brother Cecil and Brother Wayne and Brother Randy. I've heard these men preach these things all my life. Why have they never meant anything to me? I'd venture to say because that spirit wasn't there for me to hear it. But there came a day when it became everything. I married a Catholic. She did not marry a primitive Baptist preacher. I thought it was going to cost me my marriage. But if he can save my soul for heaven, he saved my marriage, can't he, Sister Laura? She's as good an old hard shell now as you ever want to see. Elder Sam Bryant used to call her as hard shell Catholic. <laughs> because even before she came to the church, she was such a lover of God's people. And she believed the truth to a large extent, whether she'd admit it or not. I messed that up to a large extent. There came a time when it meant something to me. And I'm going to tell you what, when I came to believe it and receive it and I heard it in my ears and I felt it in my soul, that's not when I became God's children. I'll tell you, but it showed me a God who's loved me before the foundation of the world who sent His Son to bleed and die for me. He invaded time in my heart with His Holy Spirit and quickened me and wrote His laws upon my heart, not in tablets of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart and not in ink, but with His Spirit. And it became real to me and I knew it pertained to old Joe. And if you believe it today, my friends, that's God communicating to you straight from farther than the telescopes could ever see. And He's telling you, I love you. And I'll tell you, if you've ever felt that love, my friends, nothing else will do. Nothing else will do. I've got to bring this to a close. There's more that can be said, but I don't have time to say it. Y'all have had a long weekend. I have too. You can't say it all. And I know that Brother David gave me great leeway in how long to stand up here, but I don't want to wear him out either. He refused to come up here and preach. So, you know, I tried to stand. I appreciate y'all's good order and attention. You know, this is my first time being here. Y'all made us feel, this is the first time being here in a preaching way. And we were here one time before to visit not long ago. Y'all made us feel very welcome. And I want y'all to know that what we have, the knowledge that we have of that Savior, is the greatest treasure this world will ever know. Let's not squander it. Let's not take it for granted. Let's take it out in the highways and the hedges. Let's tell it to people. Let's live it. The same power, that dunamis, that explodes our very being when we hear with joy the good news of the gospel. Let us do everything we can to pray and follow the Spirit and to try to share it with our kindred out here in this world. That maybe they who have the Spirit within them who are hungering and thirsting after that righteousness that in some wonderful temporal way while they live here they will be filled to the full with Jesus Christ. I thank y'all. God bless you for your good order and attention. Thank you. Well, appreciate that, and may the Lord bless us to um, to appreciate and to um, 
root ourselves in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the freedom that we have through him and in him. Let's stand and uh, and sing a hymn. Is there a number, Brother Aaron? Number 95. Amen. Mm-hmm. 